In Matthew chapter 28, Jesus said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Here at Austin Oaks, we want to be the movement that sees Austin saturated with the gospel by developing disciples so that the emerging generations will be captivated by Jesus Christ. Well, good morning, Austin Oaks Church. Uh, Good morning to everyone who is able to be with us here in the room this morning, as well as anyone tuning in online. Uh, Thanks for deciding to spend your morning here with us. Um, My name is Josh. I am the technical director here on staff at the church. Um, And uh, I'm not sure if if anyone noticed this, uh, but there are a few differences here this morning. It's a little subtle. Did anyone notice any difference? Yeah, I got a haircut. Like a nice fresh shave last night. No, I'm just kidding. Um, Obviously, there are some aesthetic changes here in the room. Um, We took advantage of the time that we were not using this space last Sunday, um, as we talked about already. And you know what? I'm just going to talk about it again. Last Sunday was our celebration Sunday where we were able to come together um, in the courtyard. And man, I mean, that weather too, like that's not something you can plan for. Like God really um, blessed us there. It was nice and cool outside, but man, even the baptisms, you know, we talked about over two dozen people being baptized and what an awesome, yeah, yeah, what an awesome picture that is that, that God has given us of this picture of moving from death to life. And, and there was uh, so many testimonies of what God is doing here at AOC. Um, you know, both people who had just come to know Jesus that weekend, as well as those who just hadn't um, followed in baptism before, who had known Jesus for a while. It was so cool to come together and celebrate that uh, last week. But this morning, we are going back to uh, a series that we have been in for a good portion of 2021. We are the movement where we are uh, diving into the book of Luke, the gospel of Luke. Now, we're going to be reading from the 19th chapter of that book today. But in case um, you you weren't with us earlier on when we first started this, um, the book of Luke, it is a gospel, so it is an account of Jesus's life. And um, Luke makes it uh, nice and easy for us because we have four of these gospel accounts in the Bible, in the New Testament. Um, But Luke starts off by letting us know why he wrote the book. Um, So I'm just going to go ahead and read that real quick. It's from Luke 1, verses 3 and 4. It says, With this in mind, since I myself have carefully investigated everything from the beginning, I too decided to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus, so that you may know the certainty of the things you have been taught. So Luke, who uh, had this, this knowledge, he was, he was following Jesus, um, he's writing this story for a man named Theophilus, a, a Roman, um, and it is so that he can know with certainty, right? Theophilus, you've probably heard some crazy things 
about this Jesus character. But I'm here to tell you that the rumors are true. I have firsthand, secondhand knowledge of these events in Jesus' life. And I'm going to paint you a picture of who Jesus was, who Jesus is, what he has done, and what that says about who he is. And so this morning, we get to look at this book as well, and we get to see who Jesus is because of what Luke has written. And because of that, um, if I may be so bold to say that Jesus will reveal himself this morning. He will show you who he is. If you tune in, if you focus, if you look at what God is saying through the Bible here this morning, he will, in fact, show himself. And I'm excited for that because God is not trying to hide. God wants to show himself to you. He wants to reveal who he is. He wants to show you what he's like. He wants you to know him, especially through his son, Jesus. Here at Austin Oaks Church, we are simply about Jesus, and everything that we do is so that you can meet, know, and follow him. So let's go ahead and dive in. Like I said, it's the 19th chapter of Luke uh, that we are reading from this morning. Luke's gospel, it's the third book of the New Testament, if you're not familiar with that, but uh, we'll also have it up on the screens here for you. Um, Starting in verse 28, it says, And when he, which is Jesus, had said these things, he went on ahead, going up to Jerusalem. And when he drew near Bethphage and Bethany at the mount that is called Olivet, he sent two of his disciples, saying, Go into the village in front of you, where on entering you will find a colt tied on which no one has ever yet sat. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks you, Why are you untying it? You shall say this, The Lord has need of it. So those who were sent went away and found it just as he had told them. And as they were untying the colt, its owner said to them, Why are you untying the colt? And they said, The Lord has need of it. And they brought it to Jesus, and throwing their cloaks on the colt, they sat Jesus on it. And as he rode along, they spread their cloaks on the road. As he was drawing near, already on the way down the Mount of Olives, the whole multitude of his disciples began to rejoice and praise God with a loud voice for all the mighty works they had seen, saying, Blessed is the King who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. And some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to him, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. He answered, I tell you, if these were silent, the very stones would cry out. And when he drew near and saw the city, he wept over it, saying, Would that you, even you, had known on this day the things that make for peace. But now they're hidden from your eyes, for the days will come upon you when your enemies will set up a barricade around you and surround you and hem you in on every side and tear you down to the ground, you and your children with you. They will not leave one stone upon another in you because you did not know the time of your visitation. Let's pray. Lord, as we read your word, as we look to the scripture, as we read about who you are, I pray that you would be revealing yourself to us wherever we're at. Pray that you would be speaking. You would change our hearts. Help us to see 
who you are that we might be changed. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. Um, so if you were here last time um, I was up here, I shared a story about when I was first married. Um, if you know, um, my wife and I, we actually got married pretty young by today's standards. We were 20 years old when we decided to get married. And, uh, you know, thinking back on that time, um, obviously I have a lot of thoughts of 20-year-old, cringy 20-year-old Josh, and, and uh, man, I'm glad that I'm not that guy anymore uh, for a number of reasons. So why don't I share a story from that time? Um, <laughs> actually, what, what comes to mind is um, a time, actually, between when I had proposed and, and when we had gotten married, so um, we were engaged, and um, I had some, some uh, friendships that were just unhealthy, um, and my wife, well, my wife now, but my fiance then, Samantha, um, ha- we had a sit-down conversation about it where she was able to see, hey, uh, these, these friendships are just, just not healthy. And they were friends of mine that I had had for a while. She didn't know them. They were just my friends, um, and they were women as well. So um, she, as, as a 20-year-old, you know, you think you know what it means to be married. You think... Um, you know, I'm going to be her husband, she's going to be my wife, and this is going to be great. And, and surely there were some things that I knew about it. Hopefully I know a little bit more nowadays. Um, but I hadn't recognized the claim that that laid upon my life. Um, because as she, you know, told me, you need to cut off these friendships. Like, they're, they're, they're just not healthy. Um, of course, 20-year-old Josh was like, oh, yeah, d- definitely, I agree 100%. Yeah, I, I can see that. No, I mean, it was, it, was, it was difficult. They were people that I had known for a while. Um, but, but I did eventually cut off those relationships, and it was, it was good for me. But it had to do with particularly my relationship with my wife, right? If she was to be my wife, then uh, that, that, that means that I need to live in such a way that she is my one and only, right? And, and when she is able to see things that I'm not, I can... I can learn from her as well. I I thought I knew what it meant to be married, but I didn't realize um, what that meant for my day-to-day life, what that meant for for every aspect of who I was, even my friendships as well. And uh, as we take a look here this morning at who Jesus is, I would encourage you to start thinking, what does that mean for my life, right? If Jesus really is who he says he is, and he makes some bold claims here in the scripture, then what does that mean for me? What is it, how does that affect every part of my life? So let's dig a little bit deeper into what uh, this story has for us here. Um, When it starts off in verse 28, Luke frames his story for Theophilus, right? He's, he's, he's writing to get this picture of who Jesus is. And so he starts off by saying, when he had said these things, and we already read a big chunk of scripture, so I'm not going to read it, but he's referencing back to a parable directly before this, if you want to go back and read it yourself, um, where Jesus shared this parable of the ten minas. Um, It's a form of currency back in those days. And it's this story of this master who had a few servants, and he decided to give each of those servants some money. 
and uh, see what they could do with that money. So, so uh, he gives the money, the servants come back later, and some of the servants were able to take that money, invest it in different things, and, and they got a financial gain from that. And so they gave it back to the master, and the master was very uh, happy with them. But there was one servant who um, decided to literally just bury the money and uh, because he was afraid of what could happen. Like, he could lose the master's money. So when the master calls him back, um, he sees what he had done, and he's like, what? why didn't you even just put it in a bank? You could at least get interest on this money. You've, you've completely wasted this opportunity. I have given to you generously, and you were lazy, and you didn't do anything with it. So that story, we're actually going to come back to it later, but it's important to, to understand the way that Luke is setting up this story of who Jesus is, and this will come back in just a second. So after Jesus had shared that parable of the master and the servants there, uh, then it says that he is going up to Jerusalem. And that's interesting because in the four different gospel accounts of Jesus's life that we have in Scripture, generally this story uh, goes, flows directly into Jesus entering Jerusalem. But here Luke wants to say something about Jesus as he approaches, as he's going on the way to Jerusalem. And Jerusalem was a special place. Jerusalem was the capital city of Israel. So you think of the people of God, the Israelite people from the Old Testament. Their capital um, was Jerusalem. So, so you get this um, almost kind of metaphorical picture of God's people in Jerusalem. And furthermore, the, the name Jerusalem, the title Jerusalem means city of peace. So Jesus is going towards Jerusalem here. And, and what does he do? Well, it says that he sends out two of his disciples right? He sends them out to go uh, get him a colt or a donkey here. Um, but it's really specific. Jesus isn't just saying, hey, I'm, I'm tired. I need something to ride on. Just go get me, you know, a cart or something. No, it's, it's interesting how much detail that Jesus actually puts into this, right? He says, go into the village and you will find a colt tied up. And this colt, this donkey, has never been ridden on before. So untie it and bring it to me. Um, this, this clues us into the, the intention that Jesus has here, right? He's not just tired, but he's saying something about himself, something that Luke thought was vital to this story of who Jesus is, uh, to explaining it to Theophilus, to understand, to see and know who Jesus is. Um, so the disciples go, they follow Jesus' instructions, and it is just as he said that it would be. Jesus proves that he could do something that no one else can do, that he could see that, that there was a donkey there. Furthermore, Jesus like, actually knew the history of that donkey, that no one had ridden on it before, and he knew exactly what to say to the donkey's owners in order to um, commandeer the donkey that the Lord is in need of this. And that's, that's interesting because here Jesus says something about himself that he hasn't up to this point. He says, the Lord needs this. Jesus is claiming that he is the Lord earlier on in this, in this book. He, he keeps it somewhat hidden. Y yes, he does miracles, 
Um, but the, the claim that he's making here is significant because of its social implications, because of what it says um, to the religious leaders, and we'll see that here as well. But Jesus calls himself Lord and says, the Lord needs this donkey. Now, um, it seems kind of crazy to us, especially as Americans, property rights, all that, um, that you would just go into a village and start untying a donkey and take it for yourself. Um, well, it was a bit of a cultural custom in this time. Um, political leaders, religious leaders, were able to, if they, if they visited your town, uh, they were able to borrow your possessions. You know, that you have someone really special coming and, and you're able to, you know, to take certain things at times. So it wasn't completely unprecedented what Jesus was doing, but it makes the point all the more because Jesus was saying, I am someone special, right? I am a leader of the people. I am Lord, and I have authority over what you possess. I have the authority to take this and to use it. Um, the donkey is interesting, too, because it symbolizes a couple of things. Um, you know, you think about what a, a king would ride into a city on, and, and generally you would think about a horse, right? Or think about a war horse, something, something regal, and a donkey is more humble than that, right? Um, but there were some, some differences as well. You, you use a horse um, when you're going out to battle because it's uh, fast and furious, right? It's, it's more like a, a sprinter, whereas a donkey is a pack animal. It's more like a, a marathon runner. It could go for longer distances at a slower pace. So Jesus takes this donkey um, not to declare war, like if you were on a horse, but, but um, in this time, sometimes a king would uh, ride a donkey to symbolize peace has happened. I don't need to rush. I've just conquered, come back from conquering, and now I'm ushering in peace. And so Jesus, he's making a claim he is the Lord, but also that he has come to bring peace. And he's come to bring peace to the city of peace, Jerusalem herself. He's fulfilling prophecy as the Messiah. The Old Testament talks about how the Lord's anointed would come to Jerusalem riding on a donkey. He would usher in God's peace to his people. So there's a lot that he's doing here. He's saying he's Lord. He's showing his humility and yet his authority. He's fulfilling prophecy. There's a lot going on here. Jesus is making a claim and how did the disciples respond, right? There's this multitude of people who are following after Jesus. What, what, do they, what do they do next? Well, they recognize what Jesus is saying about himself. They recognize that Jesus is calling himself king, calling himself the Lord. Uh, it says that they had seen the mighty things that Jesus had done up to this point. And so now they, they're putting two and two together. They're, they're saying, wow, okay, he's performed these miracles and now he's saying he's king. Yes, yes, I believe that he is indeed the Lord. He is the, the fulfillment of this prophecy. He does have authority over us, right? And so what do they do? They take off their cloaks. They put it on the donkey for him to ride on. They, they lay their cloaks down on the ground for the, for the donkey even to, to trample on. And you think about 
back in this day. They're not carrying around bags of luggage. They don't have uh, tons of clothes with them. In fact, they, they probably only have the clothes on their back. So these disciples are saying, yes, Jesus, you are indeed the Lord. Take all that I have, the very cloak off my back in service to you because you are who you say you are. You are the Lord. You are king. You are worthy of all that I have. So every little bit that I have, I give to serve you. And they don't do it um, begrudgingly, right? It's not like, oh, great, you know, you see other people taking off their cloak. Yeah, I guess I'll do it also. No, they're rejoicing, right? They're, they're, they're praising God with a loud voice. This is indeed the king. This is the Lord coming to usher in peace. Hmm. So we have Jesus making this claim. We have the disciples who are following after him, who recognize this claim, who then uh, respond in worship, in service to God. But then we also have another group of people, and it's kind of funny to me that you would have a, a multitude of people following after Jesus and lots of people who believe him, but you also have some people who don't believe him, some people who are there to kind of try and rein him in a little bit. You have the Pharisees, and the Pharisees also recognize what Jesus is doing here. They, they see that he is making the claim that he is Lord over Israel, over God's people. And, and these Pharisees, they were the religious leaders of the day. And so they're, they're thinking about, oh, you know, if Jesus is saying he's king over Israel, that they, they know what, it mean, what that means. And they recognize that if Jesus is not who he says he is, this is blasphemy. Like this, this, is, this deserves death from God himself if you're claiming to be his anointed. Not only that, um, Israel was not without her own religious zealots of that day. And so uh, some of these Pharisees might have even seen some uprisings from the people before. Some people claiming to uh, usher in this peace. Some people trying to take back the land of Israel and seeing how the Roman Empire squashed that, right? And, and having to live in the consequence of, of these um, Jewish uprisings of their day. There was, a, there was a social cost with having these religious zealots in their midst. So they recognize Jesus's claim and they say, Jesus, you need to get your disciples under control here because <laughs> we're going to be in trouble with Rome. We're going to have to pay the consequence there. We're going to be in trouble with God himself. He'll kill us, right? So Jesus, you're going to get us in trouble. Get, get those disciples under control. And how does Jesus respond? Oh, this is amazing. The, he doesn't agree with the Pharisees. Oh, yeah, you're right, you know, um, maybe, maybe we should be quieter. Maybe we shouldn't be yelling at the top of our voice. Uh, no. Jesus expands his kingdom. He says, I'm not just king over Israel, like I've said, but over all of creation. He says, if these disciples were quiet, if they were to silence themselves, the very rocks would cry out in worship to me. See, yes, he's king. He's, he's bringing in peace to Israel, to God's people. He's coming to save. But he is king 
over the rocks, over the trees, over the mountains, over the sky, over all of creation. And this, this reminds me of a, a passage in Romans. Okay, I want to read it for you. Chapter 8, it's verses 19 through 22. It'll be up on the screens here. Uh, talking about the rocks and the creation and what God has made and why, why would they cry out? Okay, it says, For the creation waits with eager longing for the revelation of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. All creation groans to see what God is doing in the world, to see how he is going to save his people, and not only his people, but redeem all of creation. Um, if you've read the, the beginning of the Bible in Genesis, when it talks about how we as mankind have sinned against God and, and brought in sin into the world, and now uh, we, th- you recognize that God cursed man for our sin. We have sinned and we have to pay the penalty of death. But he also cursed the ground that we live in, live on. The, the world that we live in has been cursed because of us, because of our sin. And so when Jesus is saying that the rocks are crying out, when, when we read that all creation is groaning, it wants to see, it wants to be set free from the bondage that we've brought on it, the curse It's proclaiming the glory of Jesus, that he has come to redeem, yes, his people. Yes, that's a glorious truth. But he's also come to redeem creation itself that's under a curse. The rocks are are groaning, are waiting to see what Jesus is going to do, to see what God is going to do in the world. And when we serve God, when we follow what he says when we follow after him in service to him, no matter how small it is, the smallest thing, we get to be a part of what God is doing, his grand story that he's bringing about throughout all of creation. That's why we say we are the movement of God because we get to be a part of what God is doing, his redemption of all of creation. So rather than agreeing with these small-minded Pharisees like you know, keep it on the download, Jesus. No, he says, I am indeed Lord. I am king. But not just over Israel. I'm king of it all. The rocks, the trees, the mountains. My rule and reign extends over everything. And what he comes to, his rule is not just... um, to have authority. You see Jesus, and he does have authority indeed, but it is to bring salvation. It is to bring peace. It's not a self-serving leadership. It is um, a self-sacrificial authority. We see this as we, as we keep going, right? So, so up to this point, um, says that Jesus is going towards Jerusalem, towards this city, this capital city of Israel, get the scene with the disciples and the Pharisees. And now Luke says that Jesus is approaching the city. 
I can imagine Jesus um, as he sees Jerusalem. You start to see over the horizon the, the gates, the walls of the city. You see some buildings. You see some people walking around. And, and what is his response to that? It says that Jesus weeps. He's overcome with emotion when he sees the city. Now, there are only a few times in Scripture where it talks about Jesus weeping. And uh, this tells me a couple things. One is that he's not afraid to show his emotion, right? Um, But if you also think about how how Luke is painting this picture of Jesus, it it means that something important is being communicated here when, when Jesus weeps over Jerusalem. Um, Because you see, Jesus is, yes, indeed, king over all, but he is also God incarnate. He is God as a man with a body. Uh, Hebrews tells us that Jesus is the exact imprint of God's nature. So if God were to to have a body, he, he would look just like Jesus. He would do exactly the things that Jesus does. And so when Jesus sees this lost city, supposed to be the capital city of his people, and he weeps over it, we see the heart of God. That, that the one who has all authority, all, uh, <laughs> he is the ruler, he is the king over it all, and he sees this lost city and he weeps over it. We, we sang a song that said, he, he, he is the God who weeps, and he is the God who bleeds. And yes, Jesus does proclaim destruction over this city, right? And, and you could say that he's being pretty harsh. He describes even the death of the children who are within the city. But he doesn't say it with glee, right? You think about who Israel was. You think about Israel's past, all of the Old Testament. God is continually reaching out. Um, When I said that earlier Luke references Jesus' parable of the master giving um, uh, money to his servants, that's actually a picture of Israel. God has given Israel so much. He's given them the prophets Right, the oracles of God, the, the Old Testament scriptures. He's given them the uh, prophecies of Jesus who's, who's coming to save his people. And they continually reject him. And so God says that they will be destroyed, yes. But it's not a, a, a it's almost a reluctant destruction, right? Jesus is overcome with compassion for these people who reject him. I don't know your story. I don't know your life, but I know I can identify with that as someone who knows some bit of what is right and wrong, what God has shown me, and I know I've rejected him time and time again. I know I have chosen to sin my own shame. But God offers his hand, right? He does not reject me. He comes in compassion. He weeps over the lost. 
And not only that, he, he spells out what salvation entails. Jesus speaks destruction, but he's coming to Jerusalem to die. He's going there, and he will be crucified. Right? This ruler, this he has all reign over everything, over all of creation. He's going, and, and, and what is he saying? Like, no, you should, have, you should have followed me. No, he's going to say, I will bear your sins. Yes, you deserve destruction. You deserve punishment for what you've done. For your rejection, you deserve to die. But I will go. I will bring peace. And how will that peace be accomplished? Through my blood. Crucifixion. Through Jesus' beating. Through his death. And he will save his people. He's compassionate and loving and kind. He is both king over all as well as the one who humbles himself to die on behalf of a people who would reject him time and time again. And today this salvation is indeed offered to you as well. As, as Jesus will go on to be crucified in Jerusalem, he was crucified for our sins. And you, you can be saved by that. No, no matter how much you have rejected him, you can turn to him even this morning. Romans 10.9 says that if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, if you agree with him about what he says about himself, he is king over all, and believe in your heart, that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. You can have salvation. You will not perish. And he offers that salvation to you here today, this morning. As I said here at uh, Austin Oaks Church, we want you to meet and to know and to follow Jesus as Lord, but also as Savior, as a friend. So I'd encourage you to if, if God is stirring in your heart, if you want that salvation this morning, um, come talk to uh, one of the leaders here. We'd love to guide you through that process, and uh, we'd love for you, even as um, Seth had, had... I just turned off. Maybe? There we go. Um, even as Seth led us through earlier, if you confess with your mouth and believe in your heart... Jesus is Lord. He was raised from the dead. You will be saved. Now, for those of us who, who know Jesus, who are following him, there's just a few quick points about the disciples here in this story. Okay, when Jesus called those two disciples to follow him and to go and to get the donkey, uh, Luke doesn't tell us what their names were, right? Because that's not the point. Luke is saying something about Jesus. And so when Jesus calls us to follow him, when he gives us a mission to do, uh, it's not about us, it's about his glory. And notice what Jesus called them to do too. It seems a, a little crazy because he told them, you know, go get this donkey. And he told them to tell anyone who would hear, the people who own the donkey, the Lord is in need of it. See, if I were one of the disciples, you know, I'd be a little uh, perplexed, right? Like, I have to tell, like, 
I don't think they're going to recognize you as Lord. You know, what, what could they say? This is, this is kind of crazy. Are you sure there's going to be this donkey here? How, how, do, how do we know? But we see these disciples carried out the will of Jesus. In fact, they were willing to look foolish in front of other people because their eyes were not set on just the things that, that Jesus had told them to do, but on who he was. See, they fully believed, yes, he is Lord of all. Yes, he does have authority. And so you know what? I am going to tell other people, he is Lord, and he requires this. They fully believed that Jesus was Lord over all. And Jesus, in fact, equipped them, right? He knew they were going to face opposition, and he gave them exactly what to say in order to overcome that. That's uh, encouraging to me in my uh, journey of following Jesus, that he will be the one to equip and give us what we need. So as we finish here this morning, there's just a few questions I want to leave you with between you and God. And that's, do you live in accordance with what God has shown you? Right, again, I, I don't know your particular story, but I know that God is revealing himself to you. If for nothing else than just this morning, he's showing you who he is. Does that, do you live as if that were true? How has he revealed himself to you? The, the disciples in the story says that they, they had seen all kinds of things that Jesus had done, and because of that, they recognized him as Lord. How has he shown himself to you? And what does that mean for your life? For some, that might just mean meeting him this morning, right? Proclaiming that he is Lord over your life. Uh, for some others of us, it might mean witnessing to your friend, right? And in, in my case, it might mean going across the street and meeting your neighbors, starting a, a conversation so that you can tell people that Jesus is indeed Lord over all. Um, it might mean joining with us here at Austin Oaks Church in community, joining a small group, right, so that you can grow together as we follow Jesus together, to become a part of the body of Christ in this local congregation. Do you live in accordance with what God has shown you? Again, if God is stirring in your heart this morning and you just feel like you need prayer, we'll have some uh, leaders up here at the front. We'd love to pray with you. We'd love to, to work some of these things out with you here this morning. And we get to uh, finish our service here in praise to God, proclaiming that Jesus is indeed king. So let's pray and we'll, we'll sing. Lord, as you have told us who you are, I pray that you would be working in our hearts this morning, that we would live that, truly live that out in our lives. Show us what that means so that we can be um, a part of the movement of what you're doing, redemption of all of creation. We praise you, God. As we sing these last songs, I pray that we would sing them um, with pure hearts, that it would be true about us in our lives. Help us better align ourselves with what you are doing. We love you. We praise you. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand together.